Hey, uh, the last couple of weeks we've been talking about, uh, actually in the last two sessions, we've been discussing the problem of fear and, um, and the problem of trying to see the overhead from the back couple of rows. But then um, the problem of fear, what, we, what we've seen so far, and we'll kind of put it all together in this session, is that fear is often the result of not trusting in God. Fear is often the result of not trusting in God. Now, the problem that we have is trying to identify and recognize whether the fear that we have in our life is a result of not trusting God. And uh, let me just throw out some ways that you can test yourself to see if this is the type of fear that you're experiencing. A fear that results in not trusting God, this will be true of it. As we've looked at everything that we've seen so far, I, I've come to the conclusion that, number one, if, if you're, the fear in your life is a result of not trusting in God, it'll be a fear that terrorizes you. It'll be a fear that terrorizes you. It'll be a fear that causes you to be in despair, a fear that has you to believe that there's no hope for the future, a fear that results in not trusting in God will immobilize you to the point where you don't know which way to turn, you don't know what actions to take, you're kind of frozen in time and you don't know what to do, and time continues to pass you by. A fear that results in not trusting in God will have us in despair, it'll have us in gloom. And as we look at all these things, we need to realize that that type of fear is certainly not healthy. It's destructive to our life, not only spiritually, but we see that it also affects us physically and emotionally as well. It destroys our whole person. So it's very important to understand that that is the type of fear that God highly condemns throughout the Bible. It is a fear that when we freeze, you know, when we shrink back in fear, if you think about how many times God says, like, for example, to Joshua, when he was frozen and taken over the leadership position that Moses had had up to that point in time, and now God is saying, Joshua, you'll be the man who's going to lead this people. And Joshua was frozen. He was immobilized. He was indecisive. And God looked at him and said, hey, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Do not dismay, for I am your God. And he went on and he began to explain to him how he could become mobile once again. And that was by trusting in God. When David was afraid and his enemies surrounded him, God said, don't be afraid, for I am your refuge. I am your strength. Not I'll give you refuge or I'll give you strength, but I am your refuge and I am your strength. And so as we look throughout the Bible, anytime we're afraid of something that immobilizes us or causes us to be in despair or doom or gloom, we need to realize that that is a fear that results in not trusting in God. And we saw in great detail that there are five things that are pointed out throughout the Bible, and I'm sure there's more, but these are the five that we discussed. And that was the fear of evil, the fear of an enemy, the fear of mankind, other people, the fear of death, and the fear of sharing the gospel are all fears that are highly condemned by God throughout the Bible. And we went into great detail and we discussed each one of those. And so as we look at these things, we begin to realize that uh, there is a fear that is wrong. There is a fear that is condemned. And God deals with that throughout the Bible. And we saw that. But we also have a problem. And that is, as we look throughout the Bible, we realize, too, that the Bible encourages Christians to fear the Lord. And so I don't know about you, but a lot of times, man, I get a headache when I read the Bible. It's like, what in the world? On one hand, God's saying, wait a minute. If you have a fear that results in not trusting me, then that's not a good fear. That's wrong. That's not healthy. And it demonstrates the fact that you've stopped trusting in me. But on the other hand, out of the other side, or what seems like a contradiction, he says, look, don't be afraid if it means that you're going to be in terror or immobilized or afraid of these things that I say not to be afraid of. But then he tells us to fear God. You kind of go, okay, wait a minute. How do we deal with or how to, and here's really the question, if you are in terror of something or if you're immobilized by fear in your life, the question that you need to ask that I ask myself is, you know what, well, it's one thing to say don't be afraid. It's another thing to not be afraid. 
how do we get from this point of being afraid of whatever it is in your life? Whether, you know, like we talked about, if you're afraid of evil in the world, if, you're, if you've got enemies in your life, if you're afraid of other human beings, whether, you know, they're people close to you or people, a boss, you know, within your own household, whatever it is. How, how do you go from being afraid of that person or these circumstances to not being afraid? It's one thing to say, don't be afraid. I mean, every little kid goes through it, and we all go through it as parents when our children are afraid of the dark or they're afraid of a storm or they're afraid of thunder or lightning, and they come to us and they're afraid. Now, what do you say? Don't be afraid. Oh, okay. Well, you know, it's kind of like, what do you do when your kids come into your room and they're afraid of, you know, they're afraid of something that's taking place at night? Don't be afraid. Go back to your room. No, you don't do that. What ends up happening? And if they know how to do this right... You may never, ever get to sleep alone again with your spouse. Right? How many have gone through that? What do you do? Okay, crawl up in bed with us. Okay, come on up here. And then they're like, yeah, yeah, we know how to work this out. You know? But, but that we all go through that. Well, what are they looking for? They're looking for assurance. They're looking for confidence. They're looking for comfort. They, they, you, know what, you know what they want to know is that you're there. That's all. They just want to know that if something really is wrong, that you're there for them. And how silly it is oftentimes where we just tell people, you know, the, 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 the dumbest thing that I could do is stand here and say, look, if you're afraid of, you know, your boss, how silly it is for me to stand here and say, don't be afraid of him or her. Without, yeah, without, you know, giving some practical recommendations on how to overcome that fear. And that's really what we're looking for. And so the, the irony or the paradox is so often is the case in the Bible is God tells us, don't be afraid of these things but be afraid of me now here's an interesting point the bible teaches us to fear the lord and uh, you're aware of it and i'm aware of it the the problem that i have is is that there are many people out here in the world today that would tell you what that really means it doesn't mean to be afraid of god have you heard these arguments it means you know, fear, fear of the Lord means to just to respect Him, to have reverence for Him, to understand who He is and who we are in light of who He is, uh, to revere Him and worship Him and praise Him. And that's what fear means, right? But man, I'll tell you what, I go through the Bible and, I, and I'm convinced of this. We need to respect Him for who He is. We need to honor Him. We need to worship Him. We need to praise Him. We need to obey Him. We need to serve Him. And all those things are equally true throughout the Bible. But there's one thing I can't get away from when you study the word fear in the Bible. And it just means to be afraid of them. It means to be afraid of them. And some of us are afraid to teach that it means to be afraid of them. Because we certainly, because we think that fear is such a bad thing in our life that certainly anyone that has a right relationship with God and that knows Him through Jesus Christ shouldn't be afraid of God because, after all, we're now children of God. We're sons of adoption, Romans 8. We have confidence that we can boldly go before the throne of God and we can ask whatever we want. There's only one mediator between God and man, and that's Christ Jesus our Lord. And we have access to God that we never had before, so why would I be afraid? I could bust on in and and interrupt Him any time that I want. That's kind of what we're taught. And you know what happens when we're taught that is we, we, we take it like so often we do. We take it to an extreme where it's kind of like we have no respect for him. We have no reverence of him. And we've lost all fear of God in our society. And so what I want to try to show you is the only way that you can overcome fear that's wrong in your life is by fearing God. The only way that you can develop a trust for God is that you have to fear him first. 
Now this isn't, you know, one of those real exciting when you stop thinking about it. You know, you start thinking about, man, geez, you know what? He, he, he's going to tell me that I need to be afraid of God. Well, I'm not going to tell you anything. I'm going to, we'll just go through this together, and you come to the conclusion. But I, there's no way I can get around it because as you look at this, um, fearing God as you go through the Bible is a proper response to God. I don't know how to get around this without just being blunt. And that is fearing God is a proper response to God. We need a good dose of fear of the Lord in our hearts again. We need to be afraid of God. We need to tremble before Him and we'll see that and we'll just go through it. And if you've got your Bibles, we're going to give it a good work out here today. You know, and uh, we'll take a look and see what's what. But what does it mean to fear God? Number one, Psalm 19, 7 through 9. Look what it says. Middle of your book. That's a good place to start, and then kind of go back to the left. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 9. Listen to what it says. How do I know if I fear God? Well, fear is a proper response to God, but what does it really mean to fear God? Psalm 19, verses 7 through 9. Look what it says. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. To understand this passage, we need to take a look at every one of these words are preceded by a definite article, the. They're all the same. So as you go down through it, you'll see the law, the testimony, the precepts, the commandment, the fear, the judgments. Fascinating to me is that God puts in this category of explanations for our sake is that, you know what, fear is equally related to the commandments of God. The statutes, the law, the testimony, the precepts, the commandments, the word of God, God's laws, fear of God is a law of God. And it's equally related to all the rest of scripture from the standpoint that, you know what, we should fear God and the way that we demonstrate our fear of God is by obeying his commandments. The law is good, the testimony is good, the precepts are good, the, righteous, the, the judgment is good, and the fear is good, meaning they're all the same. Speaking of the laws of God, the only way that you know whether you fear God is, and here's the question again, and it goes back to how do you know you love God? You know you love God the, way, the same way you know that you fear God, and that is, are you obedient? Do you obey his commandments? And it's fascinating to me, and all you've got to do is ask yourself this question, because I've got to, I challenge myself with the same one. If I say I fear God, then why am I deliberately disobeying God in an area of my life? Let's face it, how afraid of God can I be? I can't be afraid of Him very much if what I'm doing in my life's not right before God, and that I deliberately do what's wrong, and I know that I'm doing what's wrong. I'm not afraid of Him at all, and I don't care what you say as far as the, the words that you use. You can tell people you fear God, but the demonstration of your life, whether you fear Him or not, is how you live your life. It's, I mean, it's that simple. And so as we challenge ourselves to ask ourselves the question, do I fear God? The only way I know in my own life and in my own heart that I fear God is, am I so afraid of God that I obey his commandments? Because basically the second thing is it refers to God's judgments. You've got to ask yourself the question, and the first point is, hey, you know what, does God's laws really affect the way I live? Look at Psalm 119, verse 120. Psalm 119, verse 120. 
See, the other reason that I'm afraid of God and that it's a healthy fear is because I'm afraid of what he can do to me. Psalm 119, verse 120 goes on and explains it, but what we need to understand is that, you know what, we need to realize that God's, God's also judge. That God will judge sin. Galatians 6, 7 says, Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. We need to be afraid of God because God will judge sin. Let me tell you something. God judged sin, the sins of humanity, and he judged them in the person of Jesus Christ. He didn't ignore our sin. He didn't pretend it wasn't going on. He sent his son specifically to die for the sin of humanity. God judged Jesus Christ. For what? For the sins that he committed? The Bible says that he knew no sin. In Hebrews, it tells us very specifically that Jesus lived a perfect life. He knew no sin. Then why did he judge him on the cross? Because he judged him for the sins of the world. He judged him for our sin. And when Jesus was on the cross and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He realized at that moment of time that he was being judged for the sins of the world. That God's judgment is, God has to judge sin because he's holy and he's perfect. And he can't overlook sin. He can't let you slide and let you do something that he won't allow anybody else to do. Some of us deceive ourselves into believing that you're going to get away with something. Let me tell you something. You know what? If it's sin according to the word of God and God says don't be deceived, he's not mocked by it. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. He's going to judge you payday one day. And we look around us and we think, you know what? Well, so-and-so is doing something that I did and I got caught. I got busted, but they're doing it and they seem to be getting away with it. Man, what kind of justice is that? Oh, don't be deceived. God's not mocked by that. It's just a matter of time. That's why we can all relax sometimes when we see people around us who apparently are getting away with sin in their life. You know what? That sin's not against you or I anyway. It's against God. And God's not mocked by any of it. And he's not deceived by what's going on. He knows exactly what's happening. And he's got a plan. He's in control. And he's going to judge sin. And he's demonstrated that he's not going to overlook it. And the fact that he sent his own son to die on the cross and shed his blood for our sin. Let me tell you something. God's not mocked by sin. Payday someday. And so if that doesn't scare you, I don't know what's going to. You better stop screwing around and doing the things that are wrong before God because you're going to pay the price for it. Man, the longer you live, the more you realize how true that is. But you know what's so funny is we got this cocky attitude and arrogance about how we got this relationship with God and we don't have to worry about God judging us for what we do. You're crazy. I don't know where you get that. It's just deceptive is all that it is. It's to help us to accommodate sin in our life and to continue to do what we, don't, what we want to do that's wrong before God. It's nonsense. God's not mocked by that. God's going to judge sin. You know, it's fascinating to me is that, you know what, we're all going to be judged for sin one day in life. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then God says that Jesus paid the penalty for that sin, that you and I will never have to experience the white throne judgment of God where we'll be put into a place called the lake of fire for all of eternity simply because we believe that Jesus died for our sin. That's all the gospel is all about. That's what's good news about the gospel. The good news is that Jesus paid the price, and all you and I need to do is believe what he did. Right? You won't ever have to experience the lake of fire. You won't ever have to go to a place called hell that we talk of as hell. You'll never be separated from God from all eternity if you trust in Jesus Christ and believe that he died for your sins. But let me tell you something. If you refuse to believe in Jesus Christ and you refuse to trust in him and refuse to believe that he died for your sin, the Bible says that you will be judged for sin. And you'll pay the price for all of eternity for your sin. Either Jesus paid it for you or else you're going to hell. You're going to lake of fire for all of eternity. There's no way around that. That's what the Bible teaches. God judges sin. But isn't he a God of love? Absolutely. That's why he sent his son to pay the price. 
Is he a God of justice? Absolutely. That's why if you don't believe that his son paid the price, then he's going to judge you for your sin and you'll be separated from God for all of eternity in a place that's filled with torment and torture and it's not a very fun place to be. So no matter how you deceive yourself, don't believe that if your friends are going there, you're all going to have a party together and you'd rather be where your friends are than where your friends aren't if your friends aren't going to heaven. How stupid can we get? How deceptive can it, can it be? How, how deceived can we be ourselves? You know, it's interesting to me and as we look at this in Psalm 119, verse 120, listen to what David says. He says, my flesh trembles for fear of God. He said, and I'm afraid of your judgments. Let me tell you something. This is David. This isn't a non-believer. This is David, who is a believer, that says before God, you know what? I'm thinking shaking in my boots when I think about what you can do to me. I am afraid of you. My flesh trembles for fear of you. And I'm afraid of your judgments. I'm afraid of what you'll do when I sin. You know, it's interesting to me. I talked to a guy last night. Maybe some of you have gone through this before. But see, some of us believe that if other human beings don't see what we do, then it's really not a problem because we're not getting caught. And he was traveling. He was on the road. And he said that, you know, it's really interesting. I was going through this thing. And I was wrestling because we had gone through this one time in one of our other Bible studies that I was teaching. And I said, you know what? As much as I may be afraid of my wife and the fury of a wife, if you do something that wouldn't be too smart and wrong, as much as I could be afraid of her, as much as I'd be afraid of what my children would think, as much as I'd be afraid of what you all would think, as much as I'd be afraid of what maybe our customers would think if we'd do something wrong before them, as much as all that scares me, and I hope that it does because it keeps me on the straight and narrow, but you know what's funny about that is oftentimes we're not afraid of that kind of stuff, are we? You know what scares me to death? Knowing what God will do to me. See, it's kind of interesting. You know, I do care what other people think. I do care what my wife thinks. I do care what my children think. I do care what you all think. I do care, you know, I really do care what our customers think. I care about all of that. But you know what? That in and of itself sometimes isn't enough to scare me into doing the right thing. You know, it scares the snot out of me, as uh, see, Mike said, and I, you know, I heard, I was listening as he prayed, and it said, you know, scare the snot out of you, and i got to stop hanging around people like you because I'm trying to clean up my grammar here. And, uh, but, but you know what I mean. But, you know, hey, you know what scares me to death? It's that God knows what's going on. So I'm talking to this friend of mine. He says, you know, I was in this restaurant, and this nice-looking waitress came over, and I'm thinking, you know what? I mean, I am 2,000 miles from home. Nobody knows me here. Nobody would know anything. I can start flirting with her and get away with it, and no one would know. And then he said, and then I realized, you know what? Where can I go? The God's not there. And as a Christian, where can we go to run from the Spirit of God who lives within us? We can't go anywhere. We take Him everywhere we go. Have Spirit, we'll travel. You know what I mean? <laughs> We're on the road. He's with us. We're at home, he's with us. We're at church, he's with us. We're at work, he's with us. He's everywhere with us. And so the conviction comes from our own heart, and he heard the warning signals. Don't be an idiot, don't be an idiot, don't be an idiot. And, uh, and he said, you're right, you're right. You know, and he didn't look at her, he didn't look, he didn't flirt, he didn't do anything, because he knew that, you know what, it's not a matter of whether my wife finds out, because he lived several years knowing that his wife would never find out. The problem is that God knows. And the problem is that he knows. And sometimes that's a whole lot worse to live with when you get up every day and look in the mirror than what other people could do to us. See, isn't it interesting that David said, God, you know what? I'm scared to death. I'm scared to death to do what's wrong because I know you're a righteous and a holy God and that you're not deceived or mocked by sin. And I don't care what kind of a honcho that I think I am in the Christian community. 
I don't care if I'm king of all Israel. I don't care what my position is because you raised me up and you put me there and you could take me out just in a moment's notice. And who am I to mock you and who am I to, sh to shake my fist in your face and say, hey man, don't you know I'm King David? Don't you know who I am? God said, absolutely. And that's why I judge you just like everybody else because I love you as a son and he who I love as a son, I discipline. Let me tell you something. If you're a child of God, God's not mocked by your sin and he's not going to let you get away with it. He's going to take you out to the old woodshed and he's going to whoop your hide. You know what? But we lost that, man. We have lost that in our society. We think somehow or another that it's not going to happen to us. And the reason for it is our society is so messed up. Our laws and our standards and our justice system is so messed up that we think we can get away with anything. And all you got to do is read the newspaper, listen to court reports, see what's happening, be in the law, law profession, and see how stupid our justice system is, how, how, uh, how haphazard things are done, how inconsistent that it is. And you look at it and say, you know what? I can get away with it. You can't get away with it. Man may not punish you, but God's going to. And if you haven't trusted Jesus Christ, that punishment is for all of eternity. So we need to get right with God. We need to believe in Jesus. But not only that, as Christians who claim to have believed in Christ and have become a child of God, we need to start living a right life before God. Because if I'm afraid of God, then I'm going to obey his commandments. If I'm afraid of God, I know that if I cross the line, he's going to whoop my butt good and hard. Because he loves me and he cares about me. And you know what? Some of you think, oh, that immobilizes me. I'm so afraid now. I'm afraid to do anything. Are you kidding me? Let me tell you something, man. I like to know what those big parameters are because I can run like crazy inside that fence. I can have all the fun in the world. I can enjoy an abundant life knowing what those parameters are. But I'll tell you what, when I cross that line, I also know I'm going to get slammed by God. So I've got complete freedom and mobility within the parameters that God lays out in the Word of God. That's not stifling. That's not terrorizing. That doesn't immobilize me. That gives me freedom to enjoy life. And same with our children. When we give them boundaries, we tell them, you enjoy life to the fullest within those boundaries. But you cross that line, you're in big trouble. Yet how many of us are still like our kids where we want to step our toe over that line? Well, let me tell you something. Another thing we need to realize, too, is that God does get angry. Look at Psalm, two, Psalm chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. God gets angry. Oh, you know, we got this picture of God. He's always smiling and cheery and you rub his belly and he does what you want him to do. And I don't know how in the world we come up with some of this stuff, you know, but that's not the God of the Bible. God's not some, you know, some genie that you make three wishes and he does whatever you want, that he's here to serve you. He's here at your beck and call and command. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not the God who created you. That's not the God who made me. Let me tell you something. That's not the God that we're to worship and to revere and to fear. The God of the Bible hates sin. The God of the Bible also laid out commandments for us to be obedient and to follow. The God of the Bible will judge us when we cross over that line. The God of the Bible also gets angry when we do that which is wrong. Chapter 2, verse 10 through 12. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, you judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. This is fascinating in the book of Psalms. Do homage to the Son lest he become angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed all are, are all who take refuge in him. Isn't this a fascinating passage that deals with salvation in Jesus Christ and no other person? It says, take homage in the Son. Here in the Old Testament, God has always pointed to the fact that one day he would send a Savior into the world. His Redeemer would be his Son. He says, take homage in the Son, lest he become angry. You know, the Bible says that it's before the great white throne of Jesus Christ. That judgment has been given to Christ. It's an honor bestowed upon Jesus by the Father. 
for the death that he suffered for our cause, for the resurrection and triumph over death and sin, that judgment has been given to Jesus Christ, and it's Jesus Christ who will sit on the throne, the white, great white throne judgment, and judge all of humanity who has rejected him as Lord and Savior. It'll be Jesus who looks straight in the face of a non-believer and says, you didn't believe that I did what I said I did for you, and because of that, you'll be separated from me for all of eternity. It's the eyes of Jesus Christ that judgment will come. It's interesting, too, that for the believer, it's also Jesus Christ that will appear before the Bema Seat of Christ for the purpose of being judged according to our works on how we lived as Christians here on this earth. That all of judgment has been given to Jesus by God the Father for what he has done on the cross. It's an honor, it's a tribute, and because of him, he has been given a name that's higher above every other name, that in the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that he's Lord to the glory of God. You see, Jesus, there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved, but Jesus has been given the authority by God to judge all of humanity. You see, it's here, it says, take homage in the Son, lest he become angry with you. Jesus Christ is judge, and we need to recognize that he gets angry at sin. We also need to remember that God's holy, Psalm 96, verse 9. Think about it, that God is holy. You know, it's interesting, I think about the anger of God. Sometimes I, I kind of equate it to, have you, have you ever, as parents, listen up for a second, as parents, have you ever given your children boundaries, and they've crossed over those boundaries? And no, never? Just our kids? This is the way that it's just our kids. Oh, okay. Oh, sorry, dear. Uh, but how many of you have gone through this? And, and how, many of you, how many times have your kids said this when they crossed, crossed the line? Well, you don't need to be so mad about it. <laughs> oh, then what should we be about it? Should we call the neighbors over and have a party? You know? You mean what should we be angry about? You better believe we're angry about it. We laid it out. You understood what the terms and conditions were. And you know what? You deliberately violated that. Why did you do that? I'll tell you why. Because you have no fear of authority in your heart. You have no fear of consequences. You're rebellious, man. That's the bottom line. We told you what not to do and you did it. Now you're going to pay the price. And was that wrong to do that? Absolutely not. That's enacting justice. And in fact, if you've ever seen parents who keep drawing the line and they keep crossing it and drawing it and crossing it and drawing it and crossing it, and you just want to smack them upside their head and say, listen, you idiot, I mean, what's wrong with you? You draw a line and you say you're going to do something when they cross the line, then you better stink and do it because they're not learning anything from you. I mean, you see that all the time. Well, gee, I don't want to discipline them. Well, too bad. That's your job. If you're a parent, you're responsible before God to discipline them because if you don't discipline them and they're not obedient to you, I'll guarantee you when they go out into the world, they're not going to be obedient to any authority that's in their life. They're going to have a problem at work. They're going to have a problem at school. They're going to have a problem in the community. They're going to have a problem with law enforcement. You're going to mess up their whole life because you didn't do your job, and that job is to discipline your children. What's wrong with you? You draw a line, you call to it. You lay out consequences, you dish them out. And I know it's painful sometimes as a parent to do it, and I hate to do it as much as anybody else. But you know what? I love my children, and the point is, is that when they cross the line, they're no di we're, we're in the same position that God is. When I cross the line, he's going to deal with me. Why? Because he loves me, and he knows what's best for me. And the same with us as parents. You cross the line, and all the kids in here are going, oh, nice, going, buddy. <laughs> you know? But seriously, you cross the line, you pay the price. You know, you, you, was it, you do the crime and you pay the time. It's as simple as it is. And when we live in a society that that's not, that, that doesn't, that's not cognizant of any sense of reality anymore, it's easy to carry that over into our relationship with God and say, well, shoot, I did the crime. I didn't have to do the time. I didn't really pay any price. So, gee, I can get away with it. No, you can't. No, you can't. Because we need to understand that God's laws are perfect. 
that we understand that God will judge us when we cross the line. We need to understand that when we cross the line, he gets just as upset as any parent you ever had that got really ticked when you did something you weren't supposed to do. And all the wrath of the parent came out on the child. You know what? The wrath of God comes out on us as believers. I don't care how old you are or how young you are in the Lord. God doesn't mess around with sin. And the fourth thing is we need to remember he's holy. And that really is the essence of all of it. God is holy and therefore he, cannot look up, he can't look upon sin without judging it. He doesn't turn his back on sin and pretend like it doesn't exist. He's a holy and righteous God. And as you consider that in Psalm 96.6, look what it says. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. And uh, go to chapter, verse 9 because that's the wrong verse. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Just checking, you know, testing you out. See if you're still with me. you got that little cloud cover, early morning, dismal gloom and mental relaxation. Now let's wake up here. Here we go. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. I like that, man. Get shook up, man. It's like, we are in a, it's like Isaiah in the presence of God. And the cherubim and the cherubim are singing this praise holy 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 is the lord god almighty and and isaiah was going like right on man you know that's pretty cool he fell on his face and he was scared to death when he was in the presence of god and he saw the holiness of god he feared you know why he said for i'm a man that's unclean before god some of us think we're okay so we think oh you know what i'm living a good life i'm pretty right on before god man nothing's wrong in my life the problem is that you're comparing it to a standard that you set in your own life you look at yourself in the mirror and say, man, I'm a lot better than I was last year or a year ago or a year before that, which is an easy standard to have to live up to. Man, I, I wish I had to live up to my standard that I set before. I'd be like, man, night and day, 180 degrees. Man, I'm so far away from what I used to be. But you know what, though? But in comparison to who I am in light of God, I am not even close to anything worth bragging about. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Man, I'm a man of unclean lips. I am so dirty and filthy. And I realize, you know what? It's only God's grace that saved me through faith in Christ and not of myself. There's nothing that I'm doing that's worthwhile before God. Everything I do, the Bible says, like filthy rags. Man, there's nothing good in me at all. The only good thing in me is Jesus Christ. You see that? And it helps us to understand that we're not much better than one another because we're all pretty miserable before God. And it helps us to become more tolerant toward one another too, doesn't it? Because you're just as bad off as I am. Whether you think you're better or you think you're worse, this is the good news. Let me just tell you, we're all equally messed up. Isn't that great? That's the greatest thing, isn't it? We're all equally messed up. And we all equally need the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's a wonderful truth of the Bible. That's pretty good stuff. Just remember that. You're all messed up. that make you feel better, huh? The whole world's trying to tell you you're okay. You aren't okay. We know who you are. Don't let anybody tell you you're okay, because you're not. You're all messed up. But God loves you anyway. That's pretty good. Number five. We also need to realize that fear responds to the mercy of God. And that is that, you know what? We don't deserve God's mercy. We don't deserve it at all. He forgives us. He's loving. His loving kindness and compassion forgives us even when we don't deserve it. The Bible says in 1 Timothy that while we're faithless, he's faithful. We don't deserve God's love. But he gives it to us anyway. We don't deserve his forgiveness, but he offers it to us anyway. If we all got what we deserve, we'd all be in the lake of fire for all of eternity. But God loved us and sent his son. The only thing that's righteous in us is what Jesus Christ did on the cross and our acceptance of that. That's it. 
So we don't deserve his mercy. And fear of God makes you realize, you know what? I'm not arrogant. I'm not cocky before God. I tremble before the sight of him. And in all humility and, and as honest as I can share with other people, listen, you know what? I'm no better than you. The only difference between me and you, according to the Bible, is that I've believed in Jesus Christ and you have not. And that makes all the difference in the world. It's not a matter of what you're doing or not doing, what I'm doing or not doing. It's who we believe in. And you don't believe in Jesus, and I do. And that's not a cocky, arrogant statement on my part, because I realize, according to the Bible, that I never could have come to faith in Christ without the Holy Spirit of God allowing me to do that. So salvation is all of God. And, and number six, and also number seven, we also realize that fear that, that's a proper response of God rests on God's provisions. In Psalm 34, 4 through 7, we're told that, you know what, that God protects us and provides for us. The only way, now listen to me, because this is where we put everything together here. The only way that you and I can stop fearing those things which we should not fear. Fearing other people, fearing an enemy, fearing evil in our life, being afraid to share the gospel, being afraid to die. The only way that you and I can stop fearing those things, it's one thing to tell you, well, just don't be afraid of them anymore, because you're, you're not supposed to. What I'm going to tell you is, what the Bible teaches, and that is very simple. Put your trust and your faith and your fear in God, and then you won't fear those other things. The only way that I can stop fearing those things is by start trusting in God. The only way I can overcome the fear of death, I can't. But Jesus Christ can the only way I can stop fearing death and fearing people and fearing sharing the gospel and all those things is by putting my faith and trust in Christ first and believing in him. And he protects me from the fear of all of those things. He gives me a sense of assurance and confidence because he is my confidence, he is my strength, and he is within me to be able to allow that confidence to come forth. I will stop fearing those things when I start trusting in God and believing his word and living a life that's obedient before God. See, fear is a proper response to God. And also, if you really want to get down to it, there's no other way around this. The Bible says if you trust in God, you'll stop fearing man. But if you fear man, it's a result of not trusting God. So if you want to stop fearing man, you'll need to start trusting God. And what's weird about it is this. If you want to stop fearing man, then you need to start fearing God. But I'd rather just fear God than everything else in life. I can concentrate on one person. See what I'm saying? He's saying if you want to stop fearing everything in life, then start fearing God. And he said, well, how can being afraid of God eliminate all the fear in my life? It's a miracle. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. Oh, I'm just telling you, that's what it says. If I fear God, I won't fear anything else. Duh. It's the way it is. But you know what? Let me also tell you this, and we'll put all these together and close. You know what? Fear is a requirement in our relationship to God. It's not optional. If you're a believer, if you're a person who's accepted that Jesus died for you and believe he rose from the dead and that he conquered death and conquered sin and you believe that and there's nothing you can do other than accept that. If you put your faith and trust in Christ and the Bible says you become a child of God, well, let me tell you something. Now as a child of God, fearing God is no option in your life. It's not a gift given to some people. It's not an option for some. It's not for those who are a little more mature in their faith. It's not for those, you know, limited to those who become new Christians. Let me tell you something. Every person in here that knows Christ as Lord and Savior, this is true of you. And that is that God commands us to fear God. It is commandment. It is a commandment of God. You know, it's fascinating if you think about the book of Ecclesiastes and everything that King Solomon had learned all of his life. 
You know, it's amazing. He gets to the conclusion of all of it, and he says, you know what? Let me just offer this word of advice to you. In fact, why don't you turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Solomon in his pursuit of knowledge and understanding throughout a whole life of going through different experiences and the whole book of Ecclesiastes lays them all out. He comes to this conclusion. He says, in the conclusion of everything that I've gone through and all that's been heard is this. Number one, fear God. Here's a man that spent his whole lifetime, according to the Bible, was the wisest man excluding Jesus Christ, was the wisest man to ever walk the face of the earth. And you know what his conclusion was about life? If nothing else, if you don't do anything else or learn anything else, if you don't learn anything else here this morning, when you walk out of here, the only thing I want you to know, and it's the same thing I know God wants me to know, and that's this, fear God. Fear God. And if you do, he says you'll keep his commandments because this applies to every person. I like that. It's a great neutralizer. There are certain people in life that you'll run into who think they're above the commandments of God, that somehow they're God's gift to earth and they're greater than the commandments that God has laid out. We run into them. You run into them. You know what the reality of all that is? Fear God applies to every human being ever created by God. Keep his commandments. It applies to every person. I don't care what position of leadership they're in or authority. God says, you know what? The only people in authority are the people God puts there anyway. And if you want to be disobedient before God, he'll take you out in a moment's notice. It doesn't matter. There's no, no man who's greater than the creator. There's no creation that's greater than the creator. There's no servant that's greater than his master. God says, man, you know what? You need to fear God. Keep his commandments. And you know why? For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or it is evil. You look at that and go, man, you know what? Maybe I can get away with some things. The problem is, when you read this, God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or it is evil. Isn't that a wonderful thing? To know that everything that we do, that God will bring to judgment. Everything. Fear God, it's commanded. See, let me tell you something. I hope this scares you to death. I hope it does. Because then I'm doing the right thing. I'm just teaching the way it is. Because, man, when I was done with this and I stopped thinking about some of the things that you can do, some of the things you can say, some of the things you can think, and you begin to realize, man, you know what? Whether anybody else knows about it, God does, and everything that I do is going to be brought to judgment. And you know what's funny about it is? The only thing it scares me to do is to do the right thing. And how bad off am I if I do the right thing? In fact, we're all a little better off if we just do the right thing. Because you know what happens? If you do the right thing, you never have to look over your shoulder. You don't have to worry about whether you're going to get caught. See, you know what? In fearing God's also connected with knowledge of God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. You want to know why some people are spiritually, like, kind of spiritual morons? I, I mean, that's as nice as I could put it, I guess. I'd probably put it nicer. You want to know why some people haven't grown as much spiritually? Maybe that's better. Yeah, that sounds a little better. Yeah, I'll put that one down next time I ever do this. You know what, know what it is? Real simple. Is that they have no fear of God. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. There's no way you and I can grow spiritually until we first understand we need to fear God first and foremost above everything because of who He is. If you want to grow spiritually, I'd say you start with the, first, the, the foundational level, and that is begin to fear God. Understand who He is. Man, some of us are so cocky, we act like, you know what, we can approach God and we're kind of on His, on His, on his own level. You know, we're kind of equal to Him. 
You know, why don't people come to Jesus Christ? Because they have this cocky, superior, arrogant attitude that they understand everything spiritually and that they can answer all these arguments and that somehow or another they don't need God and they're doing fine by themselves. Well, you know what? The fear of God and the fear of judgment, and maybe we should be teaching a little more of that and preaching a little more of it and scaring the crap out of people so that they begin to trust in Jesus Christ because that's really the bottom line. Let me tell you something. If you approach somebody and say, look, and stop wishy-washing you know, all the things around it, just say, hey, you know what? Do you know if you die today and you haven't accepted Jesus Christ, you're going to go to hell for all of eternity? Now, does that sound like an exciting thing to do? Maybe we need that. We need to, to get back to just the basic hellfire and brimstone messages because we got too much of this candy-coated gospel that makes people feel good about who they are and what they do without understanding that they need to trust in Christ and then be a totally obedient to the Word of God. we got all this stuff that makes people feel good. we got these feel-good churches, feel-good messages, feel good. And it's like, you know, a guy, people kid me. Oh, you need to get more people back here. You know how you do it? Well, just teach those things on sex and marriage again, man. We'll fill this place up. Hey, you know what? Who cares? How many times can you listen to that stuff? The biggest problem that we have is that we don't fear God. And if I fear God, maybe I'd get along better with my wife. Maybe I'd have a better marriage. Maybe my relationship with my kids would be better. Maybe if I feared God, I'd have a, a more successful business and get along with my customers better and other people. Maybe if I feared God, it would change the way that I live. Maybe we need to talk more about fearing God than we do about, oh, how can we communicate? Can you give me three steps on communication? Well, sure I can. Communication begins with, number one, fearing God. And it should change the way you talk to one another. Well, what about our physical relationship? Hey, you know what? Let me just tell you something. Fearing God means that you're not going to go out and have sex outside of your marriage and that you can enjoy your marriage within your marriage because God judges sin. And if you're out there messing around outside the parameters that he lays out, then he's going to judge you. Maybe the best way to enjoy your relationship is to realize there isn't any other options if you're married and to make the best of it and make it work. Hey, I don't know. Maybe we should just get back to fearing God again, huh? There's an idea. What do you think of that? Hey, that'd be fun, wouldn't it? Because it's connected with the, with the knowledge of God. Look, it also says... It's controlled by hatred of sin. God hates sin. God hates sin. Proverbs 8.13. God hates sin. God hates sin. And he hates sin probably more than I hate looking at my watch realize I'm running out of time. Man. It says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance, and the evil way, and the perverted mouth I hate. You know what, God? God hates sin. He always has... He still does, and he always will, no matter who's dabbling, practicing, or doing it. you understand? Some of us need to hate sin more. We dabble in it. We practice it. We do it. We try to get better at it to think that we won't experience the consequences. It's like the world that wants to put a condom on everything is a solution to what they're doing. It's like, you know, we want to dabble, practice, try it, do it, and we want to continue to sin as if somehow or another God doesn't hate sin. That he hates how we sin. He, hey, how we sin is left to the creativity and the, the, the depravity of mankind. It's still sin. How we go about it isn't the problem. It's the sin itself. God hates it. And some of us haven't got to that point and hate it. And let me tell you something. You know why I hate it? Because I've seen what it does in the lives of people. Go and visit someone who's going through, that just went through an adulterous situation. Go and visit someone who has got a venereal disease or AIDS transmitted because of homosexuality. Go and visit someone that has it because of a result of sex outside of marriage. Go and visit somebody in jail for embezzlement or, th or theft or something else. Go visit someone that hurt another person because they had an outburst of anger and they hurt them in a moment of anger. Go and visit somebody who is suffering the consequence of lying. Go visit somebody who is a victim of gossip and see how devastating and destroyed their life is. Hey, you know what? I hate sin because it destroys people. 
God hates sin because it destroys people. We need to start hating sin again. I like what one man said. He said, you know what? As long as I'm alive with every ounce of strength in my body, I'm going to kick it, I'm going to punch it, I'm going to hit it, I'm going to do everything I can because I hate it. And when I'm old and gray and I don't have any teeth anymore, I'm going to gum it to death. He said, I hate it. I hate sin. Man, but some of us are so tolerant of it. And I know it's difficult at times to separate the sin from the sinner, but we've got to get to a point where we continue to love sinners, but we hate sin. And we don't tolerate it, and we don't accommodate it, and we call it what it is. It's not an illness, it's not a sickness, it's sin. It's depravity. It's the reason Jesus died. God hates sin. Why? Because his own son had to pay the price for it. And I can't think of any more reason to hate sin than to realize that God the Father had to allow his son to suffer the consequences and pay that awful price on a cross for our sin. Man, that's enough reason to hate sin. If I had a son who had to die for somebody else's sin, I'll tell you what, I'd sure hate sin, wouldn't you? Man, think about it. And we just kind of go along with it. We tolerate it. We condone it. We don't mess with it. Because who are we? We're not perfect. Who are we to judge? Who are we? Because if I call you on your sin, you'll probably look right at me and call me on the sin in my life. And you know what? I may not want to give up that sin, so I can't judge you. And besides that, I can't be hypocritical if I'm going to be, you're going to be accountable, we're going to be accountable to one another, and I call you on the sin that's, that's going on in your life, I've got to be free and, and available and be transparent to the fact that you're going to turn around and point out an area in my life that I need to get straightened out with God too, huh? So what do we do? The easy thing is we're not accountable to anybody because we don't want to have to deal with it in our own life. So I'm not going to confront you on sin in your life if I've got sin in my life. And then we get this attitude of, well, who am I? I'm being self-righteous if I confront sin in your life. I'm not perfect anyway. But you know what? That's, a, that's directly being disobedient to the Word of God. We're supposed to bear one another's burdens. We're supposed to hold one another accountable. And we're supposed to judge sin here on earth. If we're in any kind of leadership position, that's a responsibility that we have. We're supposed to do it. Why? Because God hates sin. Because it's devastating to humanity. Stop messing with it. Number four, five, six, and seven. <laughs> Study them on your own. I already know what they say. Oh, man. Hey, hallelujah, whatever. Hey, just you want these? You write them down. You look them up. Okay, I'm out of time. And I don't want to do this again next week because you can only handle it one time. You know what, though? I, want to, I do want to share two thoughts. Number six is fearing God is contrasted with disobedience. And it's also committed to a godly lifestyle. Bottom line of all of this, very simply, is this. If you and I fear God, then we're going to obey His commandments. If you and I fear God, we're going to do what's right. If you and I fear God, we're going to worship God. We're going to have reverence for God. We're going to be obedient to God. And we're also going to serve God. See, if you have fear of God in your heart, then it's going to keep you from doing that which is wrong before God. And let me just tell you something. And the whole world that lives around you will benefit from your obedience. What a wonderful thing it is to know that if I fear God and I'm afraid of His judgments before anything else, that I don't have to worry about the judgments of mankind. I don't have to worry about the wrath and fury of my wife. I don't have to worry about what you can do to me. I don't have to worry about what the police can do to me. I don't have to worry about what our justice system can do to me. I don't have to worry about any of those things. Because if I fear God and I'm obedient before Him, then that will keep me from doing that which is wrong. Samuel Johnson said this, and it probably sums up everything that we've talked about. Shame arises from the fear of men, but conscience from the fear of God. And that really is what it's all about, isn't it?
men and women, I don't know how to say this any clearer or plainer, but it's time that we get back to just getting on our knees before God and being afraid of Him for who He is. Because we're His creation, and He's the Creator. We're the servant, and He's the Master. We're the Lord, and He's the Lord, and we're just nothing, man, in comparison to Him. And the only reason we're still here, we're saved, as one man told me, we're saved to serve. The only reason we're still here is just to be grateful and, and to bring honor and glory to the name of Jesus Christ. What an honor that is to realize that's the only reason we're still here is to serve God. And I think maybe more of us need to be afraid of Him and it'll change the way we live our lives. Let's pray. Father, we're just grateful for this opportunity to take a good look at something that's a very difficult subject. God, and yet... How ridiculous it is that we live in a world that's afraid of everything but you. We're afraid the ozone layer, and we're afraid there's a hole in the ozone. We're afraid that the rainforests are going to be burned. We're afraid there won't be any whales. We're afraid of everything but you. God, help us to understand that fearing you is the beginning of wisdom. That we'll have all spiritual insight because of our relationship with you through Jesus Christ as we understand that you're a perfect and holy God, that you hate sin, that you'll judge sin. God, help us to see that. You're not mocked by it. We shouldn't deceive ourselves into thinking that you are. God, you tell us that everything that we do will be brought into judgment. God, help us to realize that we're not playing games with one another and see what we can get away with here on earth, but that actually everything is naked and laid open and bare before you to whom we have to do, that you know our thoughts, you know our actions, you know the secret things of our heart and the secret actions of our life. God, help us to always remember that. And we just thank you that as we, we see those parameters, that we can enjoy life to its fullest, knowing that we never have to look over our shoulder or wonder if we'll ever get caught for anything that we've done. God, help us to be pure and honest before you. God, give us a hatred of sin because of the devastation that it causes to humanity. Help us to hate it as you do because it sent your son to the cross to die for us. God, help us to see that sin is overrated and there's nothing good and it's all temporary. The pleasures that we gain from it are temporary, but the consequences go on and on and on. God, may we continue if we do now and may we start if we don't to fear the Lord. And we just thank you and praise you that we're able to even have a right relationship with you because of Jesus Christ and that it's nothing that we've done that's because he did everything. God, we just love you, and we thank you for him in Christ's name. Amen.